as a board member, you want to ask thoughtful questions. It's not a like gotcha game. Um, <laughs> you know, as we joke sometimes, it's not about trying to play stump the dumb. Right. <laughs> the leaders in these roles are very senior. They're very experienced. They're there for a reason. Um, your role in governance is really about uh, helping them. And you can't help them unless you're a good listener. Know this. Wherever you are on your personal and professional leadership journey, you can take your game to the next level. Welcome to Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr., the podcast that will help you dream bigger and pursue your goals more confidently. For our second episode on governance, I have a very special guest, Theodore Colbert III, or as I call him, Ted. Ted is the president and CEO of Boeing Defense, Space, and Security. Boeing Defense is a key supplier of aerospace products and services to the U.S. Air Force and other customers across the world. Ted has also been a leader in the automotive and banking industries. In this conversation, recorded back in September, you'll learn about Ted's commitment to service, his foray onto public and nonprofit boards, and all the lessons he's learned along the way. Ted shares how less talking and more listening can make you a better leader. We also chat about a concept every leader should think about, situational leadership. It might be an unfamiliar term to some of you, but we'll get to that at the end. I'll also recap the main lessons from this episode, so make sure you stay tuned for that. Ready? Let's go. I'm going to check your memory on. Do you remember how we met? Or what's your version? Uh, I remember. It's, it's funny. I saw that question. I was like, I'm pretty sure we met. I know, we, I know where we met. We met on the vineyard. Yes, we did. Um, but we spent most of our time together. We first met, uh, we went fishing with our boys. We did. Um, had a really good time. And the boys got to know each other and, frankly, became great lifelong friends. And uh, families have just been been close ever since. So it was good times. Good time. Amen to that. Amen yeah. to that. And it, um, still roommate together now. Uh, it's amazing right. that they're yeah, that and close. I, now, our youngest of roommates now, our oldest are both in Boston. Well, we're both in Boston. They are. That's <laughs> right. Years. That's right. That's right. That's right. So, and they're doing well. It's bizarre that our sons have stayed roommates for so long. That is unusual. I know. I know. <laughs> I was expecting at any moment for that to change, but, um, yeah. you know, they're kindred spirits now. Before we get into Ted's leadership journey, we have to go back. A couple of generations back, actually. Because as it turns out, leadership and service runs in his family. My dad served in Vietnam. My grandfather, both my grandfathers uh, are, were veterans. Mm. Uh, my mother's father worked in the naval shipyards and, and down in Portsmouth, Virginia. He actually died. Um, you know, I think he one of these you know people in that generation that worked himself to death. But I, he mm. he worked hard in the in the uh, on the shipyard there, and when. We were finishing high school. While the military was an option, 
um, the number one option was you need to go to college. Mm, <laughs> so, right. Um, at least in my family and circles that I ran in. And uh, you fast forward to coming to work for Boeing many, many years later, and the last several opportunities that I've had uh, to be a part of the defense industry, it actually forced me to go back and do a little bit more research and peel back the onion on you know, family background. I'm the first generation of men in both sides of my family that have not served uh, in the military. And so that makes um, this job even more exciting and interesting to me because not only am I pursuing um, a part of my corporate you know, development and experience and, and role in life, but I also have the opportunity to serve uh, our military and help uh, with global security and, um, and making sure that we all stay safe here and, and beyond. And that is a big mission. It is a service-driven mission. I don't care what anyone says. These jobs uh, are about serving our people and serving the world. Mm. And the decisions that we make uh, in this role, in this organization, this company do make a difference. I love that you found a way to, even on your own journey, to serve the country, serve this country and the military directly, even though you didn't officially sign up for military service. So got that done in a, in a creative way. Yes. That's fantastic. Ted eventually got a dual engineering degree from Georgia Tech and my alma mater, Morehouse College. And it was through that combination of liberal arts education and technical training that he figured out his strengths and his weaknesses. What was your toughest course at Morehouse? Oh my goodness. My t- it was uh, in the math curriculum, a class called Advanced to Calculus. Uh, really, really hard class. It, uh, it's like a junior year weed out kind of class. Um, it, it's actually the first class in my entire life that I did not pass. <laughs> By definition, it was my worst class. <laughs> you have to take it again? You know, because of the timing with the dual degree program, I decided to just keep moving and uh, and did not take it again. It, it was only offered once a year. And uh, by the time it came back around, I would have supposed to have been in Georgia Tech. So <laughs> I left that beast alone. <laughs> Talk about opportunities to learn about, you know, your superpowers and oh, man. Your superpowers are not. <laughs> Jokes aside, this is a really important step in any leader's journey. Because once Ted recognized what his weaknesses were, he was able to discover his strengths. When did you start thinking of yourself as a leader? Wow. Um, I think early on, um, you know, there's a tendency when I was younger uh, for folks coming at, well, what should we do? I'm like, I don't know what we should do. You tell me what we should do. And then <laughs> I'm like, okay, they're really asking me what we should do. And maybe I should, you know, come up with something that we need to go do. Um, I was like on student council in like seventh grade or something and, <laughs> uh, and realized that, you know, people would follow if, um, if I provided pr- perspective that was of value to them um, and, and helped, you know, with whatever cause or mission was important to them. I guess the other thing, you know, over the years, Archie, you know, I've done a lot of different things, developed software before, helped in manufacturing environments and big complex product development environments. I always looked around and saw subject matter experts that were 10 times better in doing what mm. they were doing 
that I could ever be. Yeah. <laughs> I can write software. I'm a good software developer, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, the best software developer in the world. Why am I going to try to be a software developer if I can't be the best in the world? Mm. And so I learned that um, back to superpowers, uh, what actually excited me a lot, especially earlier in my career, was bridging the technical, you know, with business, um, helping the really technical people, you know, translate business requirements into work yeah. and helping the business leaders understand the possibilities of using technology. And that to me was, this is like my sweet spot. Like I can do this really, really mm. well. And a lot better than the people that are trying to do it around <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, I just stay on that path. And, I love uh, that. And and it's uh it's been a lot of fun. I love that. For our listeners out there, there's there's a thing that we're typically talking about of one of the ways of identifying what your unique gifts are, your superpowers are, is what is the thing that people come to you and ask you for? And what you just yes. heard from Ted was, you know, they've asked for his guidance. They've asked for his leadership. They've asked for his bridge building, if you will, to try and connect from what looked like what could be different or disparate areas. And so um, as you're out there thinking about what your superpower may be or your unique gifts, it probably is you're getting some cues usually from those things that unsolicited, as Ted said, folks are asking you for are asking you to help them out with. Okay, let's get to the main topic of this series, board service. Actually, when Ted started his professional career, he didn't even know what a board was. What got you interested in public board service? Well, that's a, another interesting question. I think um, if I rewind the clock many, many years, uh, not that many years, but enough. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to date yourself here. I know. Right? There's probably a part of my career where I didn't even know boards existed. And until you get to a certain place in you know, from a role perspective in corporate America, the role of the board in your work um, is is relevant, but not terribly relevant. Um, you don't actually interact with the board. And then you get to this place where people start talking about, well, the board this and the board that. <laughs> <laughs> in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, what is this board? And so you start to do some you know, research and understand uh, how the board fits in the corporate construct and the history of how boards came to be. Um, and why they're important, both to, um, you know, the external stakeholders of the company and, and frankly, the internal stakeholders of the company. Mm -hmm. So it's a really important part of the whole ecosystem of corporate America. When, when I really got interested into boards was, I guess, about three or four jobs ago uh, when I took on a lot of responsibility for managing significant risk at the company. Mm. And uh, I was responsible for all of our infrastructure for the company. And at the time, the focus on cybersecurity was beginning to heighten um, and become even more and more serious. We've been all working on cybersecurity for a couple of decades, uh, but the threats over the last decade or so have gotten much more intense, much more persistent, and much more complex. Yeah. And so running infrastructure in a company that's big, it's part of the different defense industrial base for the country, drives a set of requirements and a set of competence uh, that are really, really important. And when you, when you talk about managing risk, then you start to get into the board discussion. 
and so when the next job, I actually I became the chief information officer for the company. And sometime in between the two of those jobs, I began uh, work on you know our posture as a company with regard to cybersecurity. You know, when you're de- developing content and coming up with a point of view, you need to do it in the context of the consumer. It has to be audience friendly. And so in order to create content on cybersecurity that's audience friendly, you have to understand what the board is. You have to understand who's on your board, et cetera. And so that was my first foray into uh, getting an understanding about the board and becoming more curious about them. So helping to educate and inform your board inside the company on yes. critical issues like cyber and, and the like. And, and in, the, in, a, in a much more direct, intense way. I, I, I failed to mention, there's actually an experience I had board-wise back even in my days in the auto industry. Hmm. Uh, I was the chief uh, staff for the chief information officer for the company who, for whatever reason at the time, took on some extended uh, responsibilities with regard to strategy. And so this is the other side of the board, yeah. uh, well, actually one piece of it, one of the other pieces. And I helped him develop content for uh, for that board of directors uh, on a variety of topics. And it was, again, it was sort of this black hole amorphous thing, whatever this board thing is, I'm just going to help you create the content. <laughs> but, but again, it was about educating the board. Um, and then I realized, fast forward into, when, as I got deeper into my six years as the chief information officer for the company, I realized uh, that through that through conversations with uh, many of my stakeholders, and in fact, many of them in the tech industry that I spent time with. Um, as the CIO of the company, I got to know many of the, the CEOs of the tech companies in the country and the world, yeah. and they all encouraged uh, me to think about being on boards because it provides mm-hmm. another perspective on how you know we run business. Uh, it provides a stakeholder view of, of the board and will help me develop uh, as a professional, as a future leader. They all believed that being a CIO was just going to be, you know, a, a point in time career-wise and that there was more for me to develop into and that getting the board experience will help me do that. This wasn't me, like, you know, running them down the street, begging them to be my mentor. <laughs> you know, this is real observed, um, you know, uh, leadership, real observed, you know, sort of technical problem solving. And so people taking an interest in you as you demonstrate, you know, both what you can do today and give them a glimpse of what you could do. It might be tomorrow, you know? Yeah. I want our listeners to understand, you know, this idea of your resume in action that Ted's describing here, where you actually, rather than telling people what it is you can do, that they actually get to see it in the field, see it in action, see him solving problems uh, and how that brought about opportunities. I think that's such an important thing, especially for our emerging talent to understand. We get mentees, um, you know, potential mentees, you know, asking for like the secret sauce. So what is it? You know, how do I get to the next level? And, <laughs> you know, I tend to tell them to worry about what they're doing today and do that really, really well right now. <laughs> and so, And if you do that well over time, you know, back to your five C's, right? And the connections happen and you get reps with the connections, reps with great work. Things will will tend to come together in the right way. I love that. I love that. Both some patience and some persistence in putting the work out there and delivering. I love that. How does public board service help you in terms of your role and enhance your role at Boeing? If it does. 
<laughs> it absolutely does. I'm, I'm on a public board, and um, the board has a tremendous uh, CEO and leadership team, and and also a very um, I call it experienced board, uh, peer, a set of peers, and so it uh, gives me the opportunity to see inside of you know another Fortune 50 company uh, from the other side. It helps me understand how the CEO thinks about his succession. Mm. It helps me watch and be a part of the CEO as uh, he thinks about strategy. Um, it, it helps me watch and, and think about um, all the other dimensions of leading a, a large organization and all the nuances um, uh, that are required to execute from a board perspective and really inform um, my role in Boeing as in management. Um, mm. And so I'm still on a learning path there. I see things on the other side and I try to use them to help me get better <laughs> on this side. And, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. Uh, but uh, but you, you just, and I can, and from the other side, I see people who are my peers, you know, equivalents uh, running large businesses and the approaches that they take to solving some of their big challenges. Um, and, and learn from them as well. And I'm, they probably don't realize it, but as much as I am trying to uh, be useful and contribute to the boardroom, I'm also learning uh, as we go along. Um, and, and that never stops. I think we all can, are continuous learners uh, anyway, uh, whether we're in a position of influence uh, or not. Um, if we, we tend to continue to learn. I think it's one of those keys to success is that continual learning and and getting some of that learning, you know, in the field is key as you're, as you say, observing other organizations and leaders and how they do things and picking up some sometimes what to do and also sometimes what not to do as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. How do you assess and screen uh, new board opportunities? Your first board is usually the toughest one to get on. And then then I assume you get some, you know, fairly regularly. I know you'll be humble about it, but fairly regularly (laughs) get some get some invitations to join other boards. How do you how do you screen and assess uh, new opportunities? Well, uh, obviously, they still come every once in a while. Most of the system knows that since I'm in a management job now, I'm pretty limited to one uh, one public board. Uh, which um, which is fine. I think it's about all I can handle, to be honest with you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that said, you know, when the opportunities do come, you think to yourself, hmm, would I, go, you know, would I pursue this? And uh, it is, to me, it's about, one, understanding the mission of the organization, um, understanding the, the CEO uh, and his, the, the CEO set of values and leadership style. Um, and frankly, do I have anything to bring to the table that helps help this organization, uh, you know, be better. Um, and, and it really is through those, those lenses. And then, you know, even with the board that I'm on, you go through a process of, you know, you meet the CEO and some management yeah. and other board members and others, and it has to be a bi-directional fit, um, or frankly, a multi-directional fit, to okay. be honest with you. And, and that's how it all comes together. Um, if, if, if I had created more space, that would be the way that, that I'd, I'd, I'd pursue it. Um, and I, the other thing, Archie, is I try to get out of what I do today. Um, the the board that I'm on has nothing to do with aerospace and defense. <laughs> so it just gets you out of your your home bubble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gets you to see something different. For Ted, getting out of his bubble means serving on the boards of educational nonprofits. 
It's also the way he carries forward the values his family instilled in him. The nonprofit board service, uh, what a joy. Um, You know, growing up in Baltimore and uh, seeing how opportunities show up or don't show up for um, the sort of mix of socioeconomic classes I was exposed to has always, always uh, served as a, a sort of catalyst and inspiration for me to uh, to serve. Um, and frankly, it, it's a family thing as well. My, my mom was a 40-year social worker in Baltimore City. Mm. Uh, my father worked for the federal government for his, just about his entire life, with the, with the exception of a couple of years. And so um, serving has always been part of you know, who we are, a part of our value system. And the, the board service, nonprofits, for me, it's about uh, helping uh, getting education to the right places uh, with high quality, uh, promoting uh, young people in areas uh, that sometimes don't get the opportunities in an equitable way. And that to me is, it's the complement to to the opportunities that we have on the corporate and personal side. Yeah. Um, I don't believe you can separate achieving in one's personal life and, and, and sort of corporate world in my context with serving um, you know, those two things have to go together. And people ask me, you know, what do you spend all your personal time doing and how do you pull all this off? I, my personal life is about the service side. Um, and I don't spend a lot of time, as much as I enjoy watching football, I don't have time to watch football. <laughs> um, I don't have a bunch of frivolous time to do whatever. Um, I'm not working. It's it's filling time with, obviously, family um, and and then uh, the board work yeah. because that that's something that's that important to me. I love that. What advice would you give a young professional early in their board journey? I would say, you know, on the nonprofit board uh, side of things, I would look for things that obviously are interesting to you um, that are um, that that are things that you want to contribute to, and just be a volunteer. Um, volunteer for the organizations. Get to know the leaders. Um, you know, do a little bit of, I call in-situ networking, <laughs> which okay. means, like, to your point, in, in the work um, <laughs> and, and sort of go from there. Um, I, I think on the public board side, you know, it's about fit and you have to bring something to the table, whether it's uh, your focus on, you know, accounting or, or risk management or cybersecurity or M&A. Um, you have to build those skills over the course of your career. And I wouldn't set out earlier in my career just to go be on a board, uh, but I would, I would, in the same way that you're developing yourself as a professional, uh, build a variety of skills as you develop. And then you, you obviously have to find something that you kind of major in uh, mm. and you uh, build some real expertise around uh, so that when the time comes for public boards, uh, to be interested in you, there's there's a space you can fit. If you go look in a company's 10K or in their annual report, you'll see the the board composition chart. That will give you a hint as to how this game works. <laughs> you got to tick some boxes on that chart, or you're not going to be interesting to that board. Uh, you know, and so um, so that I think is sort of the technical side. I think the ongoing opportunity is to continue building your network over time in real meaningful and substantive ways. Um, you know, spending time in areas, whether in the community or technical or in the business world that are interesting to you, 
um, you know, finding, you know, real quality engagements with, with leaders in those areas, helping and trying to figure out ways to, to contribute uh, to, to the industry or topic uh, in meaningful ways. Those are all, I think, important uh, sort of waypoints to, to board service. And, uh, and I think if you just sort of take your time through that, you'll find your way there. Um, just trying to like push your way into a board. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a good experience for you or, or the board um, in the end. No, I love that. I love that idea of of investing in those relationships. You're talking about having meaningful and substantial relationships versus, you know, collecting names and collecting business cards and, you know, having a an inch deep but a mile long kind of network doesn't help you as much as having, you know, a much more, you know, truly cultivated set of relationships. Um so I love I love that you're reinforcing that point for the for the leaders on the on that are listening to that the leaders that are listening to us. It's it's hard these days because you can go an inch deep and 500 miles wide because of the, <laughs> because of the social networks. You can fake yourself into thinking that you have, you know, 2,000 friends. You really don't. <laughs> I agree. Any examples of the power of that diversity? We don't need a specific example with a, <laughs> with a name, but 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 some stories or, or some examples of of that of that diversity really coming into play and creating value. Oh, for sure, and it's it's interesting. This is a great question. I, one of the boards I'm on uh, has uh, some amazing diversity: uh, socioeconomic, uh, race, gender, uh, et cetera. And as we were going through the pandemic. Um, you know, the CEO wanted to um, to pivot strategy just a little bit uh, because of the moment and because of the fact that um, the mission just needed to reflect the moment and amplify the opportunities of the moment to bring more equity, um, you know, into their target base. And... Um, and not everybody on the board was was on board with that <laughs> for a variety of reasons. And this is a board, and I think this is probably the case with all my boards. There, there are um, there are real significant philanthropists um, on the boards uh, that bring a lot of zeros to the table. We'll just call it like that. And and then there are a lot of people on the board that bring a lot of experiential um, um, sort of substance to the mission, you know, people that have lived in the mission of right. the board. So, right. so if you bring together philanthropists, people, you know, that want to support a cause with people who have lived in that cause, their realities, they see the world through totally different lenses. Mm. And, and the trick is the board chair um, and, and the board leadership have to figure out how to pull all that together yeah. and, and, uh, and help the leader. In this case, it worked beautifully. Um, there was, there were moments where, uh, I'll call it the philanthropic side had to do a whole lot of listening and, <laughs> and the experiential side had to do a lot of sharing and, and in very, very intentional ways. And that diversity came together to recombine and really, really support the CEO as the CEO thought about the way forward. And I'll say today it's, it's working really, really well, but it was a moment. It was tough. Without that diversity, though, Archie, you end up going down one path or the other very yeah. quickly and very blindly in some ways. And, um, you know, one, the experiential way is not, doesn't have all the answers. No. 
and the philanthropic approach doesn't have all the answers either. <laughs> the two coming together, uh, that's where the real value is and the beauty of having all these people sitting at the table. And that's what worked well. Now, as you've heard already, Ted has a unique combination of assets that help make him a great leader. But when I asked him about the superpower that he uses most in the boardroom, he chose one that we can all have, but often forget about. I had tried to be a really good listener. And um, and listening to me is, is sort of on the pathway to being an empathetic leader. And that is on the pathway to really trying to draw out of people you know, what is it that they are really great at? Mm. And um, and I do this day to day as a leader um, in my management role, um, always trying to figure out, you know, what is this person really great at and, and how do we make best use of, of their talents and, and resources? And then how do we recombine them with everyone else around them uh, to make us all better? In the boardroom, it is about listening and understanding you know, where the challenges are for the organization, how the CEO thinks about uh, this, the, the, the market and the industry, and, um, and, and how do the strategies fit into that, um, and what are we missing, uh, and how do we ask a thoughtful question uh, to help encourage thought process. It's, and, and that's where the listening comes in, because mm. you have to, as a board member, you want to ask thoughtful questions. It's not, it's not a like gotcha game. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not meant to be a gotcha game. It's not, you know, as we joke sometimes, it's not about trying to play stump the dummy with, with right. the man. <laughs> you know, and, and frankly, that's insulting. I mean, um, the leaders in these roles are very senior. They're very experienced. They're there for a reason. Um, your role in governance is really about uh, helping them. And you can't help them unless you're a good listener. Uh, and so um, I tend to be a good listener and sort of process what I hear and then provide perspective. If you're being a great listener, how do you balance that? When it's time to speak, how much to share, uh, when to share? It's that that is another set of superpowers. To be honest with you. <laughs> I, I had one of my leaders uh, uh, here who's since retired um, actually tell me this, this is not my own observation. Um, he said, you know, don't stop your approach to discernment. Um, mm. You you know when to speak up. You know when to just let things go. Uh, you know when to you know go really hard on something. You know, don't let anyone disrupt that. And um, more often than not, that is a really challenging thing for a lot of leaders to to figure out. And you know, sometimes it's just informed by you know their their leadership styles, their personalities. Um, I tend to believe that we need to sort of check the ego uh, in those moments because. Mm. Um, you know, the ego doesn't always allow you to be a good listener. It wants you to just tell everybody what you think. And sometimes that's interesting. Sometimes it's not. Uh, so, <laughs> so, especially when you're talking to a room full of experts. You know, we have this joke now. Don't let don't let my expertise get in the way of your ego. And oh, um, wow. and so to me, I don't ever want to show up that way, either with my team or in the board environment, which is why going back to our point before you want to be a good listener. And so, um, and that, that gets harder and harder as you get more experienced. Uh, as you become more and more experienced, you have 
fed into your intuition uh, with more and more reps. And your inclination is going to be to just use that intuition and 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 that experiences and the little ego person is going to say, just say what you got to say, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and the it is like, just chill for a minute and like listen, you know, yeah. and inform inform the ego just a little bit more so that you can be that much more thoughtful about how you provide advice. How do you manage that internally? Because as you say that, I think of in your role, you know, CEO of of your yeah. division and area, folks are expecting you to come with answers. Um, and so how do you balance that listening to here's the, here's the answer from Ted? It, it, let me tell you that that's what, (laughs) that's what these roles are all about. And, you know, it's all about situational leadership. You hear that? Not every situation requires the same form of leadership. It's all about knowing when to take charge and when to let others step in. There are times when, you have to be significantly more directive. Um, and there are a set of attributes that you know are in place that say you need to be more directive right now. Mm. Uh, and then there are times you have to step back and let the team work together, empower them to learn together and to create and recombine together. Sometimes you don't have time for all that. Um, and sometimes you're out of time. And um, as the team goes through its phases of development and maturity, you know, and in the context of whatever problem you're trying to solve um, and the timeline with regard to solving that issue, you 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 traverse, you know, all the elements of situational leadership, whether it's being more directive or allowing the team to be more collaborative. And um, and and that's what you think about constantly. That's what your brain is is constantly cycling through. Is this the time to like put my foot on the gas, or is it time for me to take my foot off the gas? And 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 we tend to see leaders as very binary, one way or the other. Yeah. And and great leaders know how to discern and when to figure out how to how to traverse that that sort of situational leadership matrix. And uh, and that's what I spent a lot of my energy doing and take a lot of inputs uh, uh, with regard to doing. Um, so it's it's hard. That That's the hardest, you know, one of the hardest uh, psychological, you know, parts of being being a leader. One of the things that we talk about uh, and I love that you brought up culture uh, is bringing your full self, your authentic self um, to all situations, work included. How does that work for you? How have you 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 know leverage your background and experience and culture you know from where you grew up to going to an HBCU how do you bring all those things to to your leadership journey well it's interesting cuz that um it's it's a great question and there are a lot of nuances to it to to bring in your authentic self and you know i believe that number 1 uh the value system that i have always starts that that is the beginning and the foundation mm. Um, I, I won't work for a company or a person uh, that doesn't share and amplify the, those values. You know, treating people fairly, um, you know, working hard, uh, being thoughtful about how, you know, we reward each other and uplift one another. Those things are, are really, really important to me amongst a whole bunch of other uh, things. I think more broadly than that, um, you know, it depends on the situation. You know, I, you know, I can... And, and it's a, it's from the superficial to the deep. You know, there is a way that you show up in the Pentagon. Mm. There's a way that you show up, on, you know, on, the, <laughs> on Capitol Hill. 
Yeah. Those are not your things to negotiate. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Got and it. that's just, they just, that you're showing your authentic self is, is bringing all of the authentic skills and knowledge that you brought to the table to go solve problems in those arenas. Um, when it comes to my own team, obviously you, as I mentioned before, uh, you never want to sacrifice your values. That's just one thing that's foundational. There are a lot of things on top of your values, you know, what's interesting to you, what excites you about the world and life uh, that that as a leader, you have the opportunity to influence the people around you with, uh, whether it's music or arts or um, or the current social issues. Um, those things are who you who you are and what's what you're, what's a part of you, how you dress, um, you know, how you spend time with your family, uh, what uh, brings joy to you. And um, traditionally, those are things that you just leave outside of the office in the corporate world. Yeah. And people sort of draw like hard lines with regard to all those things and the corporate world. And, and once you walk in the door of the office, you just keep yourself in the box. My belief, and I think we've all learned over the last many, many years, especially with uh, some of the emerging generations, is that exposing more of that to the people around you actually helps them get to know you better and helps people work with you more. You don't have to agree on everything in this world, uh, but at least uh, having uh, a little bit more exposure to what's important to you as a human being, as an individual, um, I think makes a difference in your interactions with people, your ability to develop trust um, and, and to help one another as you solve big problems. For me, at least, and I believe for a lot of our leaders, uh, when they feel comfortable exposing, you know, things that we tr traditionally don't, it actually makes them more comfortable and allows them to focus more on the work at hand. Yeah. And, and really, to me as a leader, that is the bigger goal. Um, I don't want people feeling like there's something they're being judged about every day mm. that has nothing to do with the, the sort of content of their work. And sometimes you have to expose those areas just so people know that you know, we're not, you're not being judged on these superficial things. Um, those are just context. We, we want to get focused on, uh, on, on the work at hand. What a pleasure to have Ted on the podcast. A quick recap of what we learned from him. Number one, leadership is a form of service. If you're looking for board opportunities, Prove yourself by focusing on becoming better at what you're doing right now. Number two, different situations require different forms of leadership. So be a better listener. And number three, bring your authentic self to work and your team will thrive. If you enjoyed this episode, Please don't forget to subscribe to Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr. so you don't miss out on new episodes. Also rate and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. I also offer a governance training camp. If you want to learn more, visit our website at nextgencoachnetwork.com. That's N-X-G-E-N coachnetwork.com. If you are a leader or aspiring to be one, and want to connect with me, visit ArchieLJonesJr.com. Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Training Camp for Leaders with Archie L. Jones Jr. is produced by Next Gen Coach Network and Human Group Media. If you want to learn more about our work at Next Gen Coach Network, 
visit nextgencoachnetwork.com. That's N-X-G-E-N coachnetwork.com.